Coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, did you happen to catch the inauguration over the weekend? We are going to be talking about every little bit of it, especially a focus on the human side of the inaugural events. Hopefully, obviously, and uh, our goal would be to do it without touching on politics. We're going to be talking about that up here after the break. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. In his second term inaugural speech, President Barack Obama unexpectedly told the nation he will be giving climate change a strong focus during his next four years in office. The politically charged issue will now be a policy priority like gun control and immigration reform. Three people have been injured at Lone Star University near Houston, Texas, after shooting broke out between two suspects. One of them was injured during the exchange. The other fled and is being pursued by authorities. Police in Los Angeles are calling an early morning fire criminal in nature. The blaze injured 14 people in a residential apartment building, three of whom were in critical condition when rescue workers transported them off the scene. A well-known Jewish counselor from a prominent New York community has been sentenced to 103 years of prison time for 59 counts of sexual abuse, including abuse of a young girl over a three-year period. People across the nation will be bundling up this week as the coming week's forecast calls for the coldest nationwide temperatures in over two years. Some areas of North Dakota have already hit below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appears to have his third term in office secure, according to early exit polls. But his victory comes with some surprising loss of party seats in parliament as 17 seats went to a new party. Following last week's deadly hostage crisis, the Algerian prime minister has vowed that his nation will do everything in their power to fight off persistent Islamist militants linked to al-Qaeda in the region. An estimated 800 children in Europe have developed the sleeping disorder narcolepsy after receiving a vaccination treatment for swine flu made by a British drug manufacturer. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. We're joining uh, today. We're joined by some experts on the inauguration. Did you happen to see it? Was the most exciting part of the entire weekend what dress that Michelle Obama was wearing? Or did you not even check out the dress? I thought the coolest thing, not to be sidetracked, was uh, the Secret Service in the limousines. I just don't know what it is, but I love to watch the president and his motorcade. I think that's the coolest part. And I'm sure I'm alone on that. But uh, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the inaugural events. We're going to be bringing on our own Rudyard Hopkins. Rudd has helped us in the past in politics. He's the resident uh, BYU broadcasting uh, pol- political expert. He also wears a bow tie, so you know it's legit. And we're going to be getting into some of the favorite uh, stories of past inaugural events. And I also want to talk sometime during the show about a movie I saw. Actually, two movies. It was a very big movie weekend for me. Uh, Lincoln, boy, that guy's the bomb, quite honestly. So I'm going to bring that up with uh, Rudyard. And then um, the show called The Impossible, which was about a tsunami. Holy cow. 
I'll never be the same. We even had our kids go to that movie, and now they all are scared to death. Because apparently nature's hard. And nature uh, took this family out, you know, during the tsunami in Thailand, and it just beat the family up. And now I have children that are afraid to go to bed. So that was just bad parenting 101, but uh, we're going to bring that up as well during the show sometime today. Now, on the show, you know, we like to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. We like to understand the human factor. And what better way to do it than with the human headlines? Real news that affects real people. This is the Matt Townsend Show, Human Headlines. So in the Human Headlines, we go around and uh, give all of our producers here a chance to give me some of the news. I want to hear the headlines that educate us on uh, the will of humans and maybe some of the stupidity of humans out there. Who's got the first story? What age do you pull the plug on marriage? You say, you know what, it's just not working out. Yeah, like what age do you say, I think I'm done. I'm not, I don't even care if I get married. What age should you, Rob? I don't know. I'm asking you. Well, 40, 50? 60? I think when you can't ventilate yourself. No. Um, when I don't think it matters. I think love has no bounds. That's the correct answer. Bing! So this uh, woman named Betty. Betty. She aged like life and moved into a retirement village. And she moved in 2011 on Valentine's Day. Oh, Just romantic. happened to be the day that she moved in. Yeah. And normally people kind of keep to themselves at retirement yeah. villages. Like, don't clicks. talk they're, to the new lady. They're kind of old. They don't really want to, you know, they already have their friends. And, well, she goes into the dining hall. Uh-huh. And uh, there's this uh, 78-year-old guy named Walter. Walter says, hey, why don't you hey, join me at lady. my table for dinner? Oh, Walter, that old coot. So she was she was pretty thrilled about He's that. He's busting a move on her. On well, Betty. They kept joining each other for dinner for the next six months. Okay. And, uh, Walter proposed. Walter. Now this was something because Betty is eighty eight years old. Oh my heaven! How old's Walter? Uh, Seventy eight. That lady, look at her robbing the cradle. So she said she needed to take her time and think about that it. That is so cute, right there. Seriously, that's cool. She Love. Said, by age 88, I'd given up, and I never thought I'd get married. And then 24 hours, she says, you know what? I decided to say yes. Why not? Why I'll not? i have a new friend. What if I, and he's not going to be around long. Oh, that's rude. But um, it's what's so weird about it is do you think they have the same fights every other couple does? Do they think they fight over who takes the garbage out? Doubt it. They're in a care center. They're in a care center. The nurse the- is going to take the garbage out. They fight over who brings the ice. No. What do they fight about? They don't have to even fight about the thermostat. It's always too cold because those darn people at the front desk go turn it up. <laughs> oh, but interesting. I think that's great. Don't you think we need more of that? I think it's nice. They even have uh, their separate space. They're maintaining their own separate So as I look around at all these know? singles in my little group here, does this give you hope? Bryce? Well, well I would say that... Uh... You should have hope. You've got, I don't know, 80 more years to figure this out. <laughs> no, no, no. That no, means 60 more years 60, to figure this out. 60, what, four? Yeah, this is good news. 65, 63 mm-hmm. more years uh, to figure this out. And you know what? That sounds like a long time. So should I just give up now and just wait till I get to it? No. Better yet, 
Better yet, become rich, retire at 27. Yeah, you're overthinking and this. And then go to a retirement home because you have no. to retire to no. no. Yeah, you're no. overthinking it. Uh, what you do is you get married when you're young, and then you do it in this phase, this crazy haze of love, and then you're kind of you don't remember what you're doing anyway, or you wait till later when you're in the crazy haze of life, and you don't remember. Either way, it works. I heard. I heard. Either way, I'm just not going to remember. Great or, point. Or who knows? And that doesn't make it bad. Uh, no. Great. Uh, that's a cool story for Betty and Walter. Proud of them. Good to find that, Rob. It's kind of like the movie Up, except except less, it doesn't yeah, involve a house floating through the world. Good. Who's got another headline for us? So BT. It, it seems industry trends would indicate that oh. soda is is going out of vogue. Really? Which is weird because it's been like in vogue for like, I don't know, what, 70 years? Yeah. I don't think it is. It really like going out of vogue, like we're not drinking. What about people are going to go back to water? Yeah, right. Uh, no. Uh. <laughs> um, so I, now let's not freak out. This Gosh. is definitely, you know, the, the trends have been happening for a while, but this was kind of the first year that there's really a big jump. Uh, there's in, in terms of last year, sales of soda dropped 1.8%. Really? Which you may not freak out at that, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And um, that's a lot of carb or uh, what's it called? CO2? Carbonation. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's less. We're trying to change the world with change less CO2. the environment. Really? So what do they attribute this to? Um, I, I think it's, well, there's a lot of stuff. It's a huge article, so they kind of go all over the place. I think it's Oprah. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Oprah. Um, I'm going to say it's everyone's kind of shying away from high fructose corn syrup. Now, yes. Now, not that they're the only ones who use it, <laughs> but they are, they're super, super dependent on high fructose corn syrup. Everyone else kind of has other op- other drinks can be like, oh, real sugar. Yes. Or they can have other things that they can do, but... The soda ah. industry for about, I don't know, 20, 25 years has been like high fructose corn syrup, brown, and carbonation. Pow. Yeah. Drink this. I think it's an anomaly. It was just to the election. I think Let's blame it on the election. It's got to be. I think it's going to be just a weird little anomaly. Next year, it'll be back to normal. Uh, you know, it's probably just we have – and also like a bunch of the numbers are from December. They're like, in December, huge drops in soda sales. Maybe it's because like, we're poor. Well, eggnog. Everyone's buying eggnog. But is that seasonally adjusted? Yeah. It's, because it could be you – know, December's always a rough exactly, month. Exactly. Like you exactly. say. Well, chocolate, eggnog. Yeah. Some people out there I'm sure are going to say it's just Obama. It's Obama. <laughs> Matt, I thought you said we weren't getting it. It's the right-wing conspiracy. Uh, we won't even go there. Good. Well, whatever it is, I guess that's good. It's going to save lives. I mean, whatever. I'm all for new drinks. Yeah. Well, you know there's always water. There's No, let's not. There is. No. A lot of people think it tastes good. That's boring. Do you drink water, Skyboy? I do. You're from Iowa. Yeah. That's all we have there is just water. Just, there's no other drinks in Iowa. No other drinks. First time I had a Don't soda. Don't you have was... milk? you got to have milk there. Oh, I'm just straight from the cow. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, so it doesn't taste as good. Yeah, but... warm milk. Nothing like that. Um, good. What's another little headline for us today? Okay, this is kind of moving us into what we're talking about today. Um, so, for me, the inauguration yes. is um, entertaining to the point where it's not that entertaining. Yeah. What? <laughs> but, but you, So you were looking at the inauguration not as this like monumental event in our country 
as much as it's entertaining. Yeah. Well, we saw it last year, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, we have this every four years. What's yeah. the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> but there is still entertainment scandal looming. What? Um, okay. What's the scandal? I know. On this one? Here's the big news. Um, so Beyonce, um, it turns out that she she sang the national anthem. Yeah, she nailed it. But it turns out not actually at the inauguration. She lip synced it. What? Uh-oh. Yeah. She. Yep. So I don't. Was it? Was it really even Beyonce? <laughs> yes, that was. Hmm. They did say that it was her. Maybe so, it was Millie Vanilli. <laughs> huh? Little lip sync. And she. There's, there's there. a big problem with that. What's that? Millie Vanilli didn't even sing their own songs. Yeah. Good so point. then how could they lip sync Beyonce if they didn't even sing their own song? Well, hello, they had years to get better. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now, I mean, how can you sing your own song when you're on the back of the steps of the Capitol and you can't even hear yourself and maybe the wind's blowing and it's cold? Yeah. So I'd lip sync it too. Yeah. I, I, it's understandable. They're... I don't know though. She's mm. gonna. I think I'm pretty sure she's gonna do the Super Bowl too. So well, lip syncing actually in a venue like that is forgivable because I remember somebody involved with the 2002 Winter Olympic opening ceremonies. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir performed, but they had the problem of how do you mic a choir in a noisy stadium right. and then project it back into the stadium? And so what they ended up doing is splitting the choir in half, put them in a soundproof booth mile away or whatever and then the choir was up there they performed they sang but the choir you heard on tv and over the oh. pa system was a choir in a booth somewhere just else. to have a live yeah. song so what beyonce needs to do is find her sister or somebody <laughs> you know, yeah and i think we're weird that way really when you look at half those stars what's real anyway that's not even her hair hello <laughs> At least she's not auto-tuned. I mean, I mean the thing. Like, I don't know. We get in. We're like all purists. Like that wasn't real. It's true. Come on, it's a big event. But if but if real is bad, do we want it? Ooh. Sorry, was that too deep? I apologize. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, actually, sorry. My bad, my bad. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm just you, thinking. You know, yeah. what was it, Christina Aguilera? Like two Super Bowls ago? It wasn't this last Super Bowl. Oh, she totally. Yeah, yeah. she destroyed it. And give that's... any one of the critics a microphone and a stadium, and have them go sing the song exactly. that they know the most in front of what twenty million people, fifty yeah. million people. How come Simon Cowell has never stood up and sang? Yeah. That would get ugly. Well, interesting. Okay, so that's going to come up. We're going to have to ask Rudd about that because, I mean, who would ever think in any kind of event that involves politicians that something wouldn't be real? Weird. It's so far from all of it. I mean, it almost seems implausible. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry. Uh, Any other news headlines today? Anybody else got any good stuff? Bryce, what's coming up on the show today, my friend? Coming up on the show. That sounded really official. That's not, we didn't plan it like that. No, I'm that sorry. It sounded it's, really good. Sorry. My I'm, ears I'm are just, vibrating. I'm being too, like, official with stuff. Hey! No, we, we're going to be talking, we're going to, like, kind of goofy, kind of weird um, presidential inauguration stories. Because apparently there's a lot of them. It's, you'd be surprised. Weird stuff happens. <laughs> Much like the singing beforehand, not everything goes as planned. Right. There um, are surprises. And also, well, we're going to be going over the inauguration. We're going to pick Rudd Hopkins. He likes to be called Rudyard Hopkins' brain about it. He's going to give us some insight because um, really my first question is why do we do it? If the day before 
we're, we're actually the president's already sworn in in a nice little warm room where Beyonce, I'm sure, could have nailed it. And he's already sworn, sworn, sworn in. It Sw- went really well. Sworn in. Sworn, in. sworn, sworn to done in. Okay. It went well. Why on earth are we then spending tens of millions of dollars to do it again and just make it a big drama? I don't I don't know. We're going to ask Rudd because apparently I'm missing something there. Uh, and the other thing we're going to get into is I really want to talk sometime through the show about the show, the movie Lincoln. You all know he was a president. Yes. And have you all seen the show? I have. I haven't. So I'll, Jessica, you gotta have you seen it, Rudd? Rudd shakes his head yes. Skyboy? Okay. I love the show because – and you, Robbie? No. Nope. Robbie's shaking his head no. That's politics right there. That was a guy that put it all on the line to get the 13th Amendment taken care of. Sure, we had to manipulate a little bit, had to keep some things hidden. <laughs> anyway, fascinating to me. And then the irony of all ironies – Obama, President Obama, is sworn in on Martin Luther King Day. So I see Lincoln, 13th Amendment, uh, Martin Luther King Day, and we swear in an African-American president his second time. That is like huge. That's a big deal. I don't care what your politics are. That is pretty amazing. And so that's where the God Bless America, I think, truly truly works. But when we come back from the break, we're going to start getting into it. The good, uh, the bad, the ugly. We just went through the headlines there. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the inauguration, try to understand it a little bit uh, deeper. We're going to be bringing on Rudyard Hopkins and learning about some of the, uh, maybe the misfires that took place on past inaugurations. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Near-Earth asteroids are dangerous to our planet and orbital infrastructure, threatening to destroy satellites, or worse, us. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In 1994, the Shoemaker-Levy 9 comet collided with Jupiter. Its impact sparked the emission of large plumes of fire, each several kilometers high, and the formation of hot bubbles of gas in the atmosphere. Could such an event happen to Earth? All signs point to yes. Shoemaker-Levy 9 and the threat of near-Earth objects such as asteroids reminds us that protecting our planet is just as important as exploration. NASA's Revolutionary Aerospace Systems Concepts Academic Linkages, or RASCAL for short, looks for ingenuity and innovation from the next generation of problem solvers by challenging them to share their innovative design concepts for human missions to near-Earth objects, like an asteroid. Through the annual Rascal Forum, university students present their designs to their peers and a panel of judges comprised of NASA and industry experts. Realizing these missions will stretch the bounds of innovation, human health, and engineering, NASA sees direct connection to tapping the bright minds of undergraduate and graduate students. After all, protecting the planet from an asteroid collision could be one of the greatest feats of their generation. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Freshen up your mornings with Marcus Smith and the BYU Radio Morning Show. 
lifestyle, news, current events, science, technology, and just about anything else. You'll be feeling good all day long when you start your day with Marcus Smith and The Morning Show, weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Today we are talking about the inauguration, of course, and really I think the importance that it should have in our lives uh, just as fellow citizens. Um, We're going to be bringing on Rudd Hopkins in a minute who's going to, you know, walk us through all of this. But before we do that, we decided that um, we were going to go and take some of the past stories of past inaugurations and fill you in on just some of the stories you may never have heard about. So James Madison is America's shortest president. He was only five foot four. That's half a foot shorter than the average president's height. Half a foot shorter than the average president's height. Now, Mr. Madison can't blame the inauguration day for his shortness, but another five foot six president can. William Henry Harrison. If he had lived long enough to serve out his full term, he'd probably be more forgettable than he already is. You'd be like Franklin Pierce or Zachary Tyler. But he was quite the hotshot back in his day. Led the U.S. Army against Tecumseh in the Battle of Tippecanoe, which in itself is a long story. It turned into a big mess that spilled into the War of 1812. But after he took off his uniform, he went on to serve in the Ohio State Senate, the U.S. Congress. But he couldn't shake the image of being this hillbilly, rough-and-tumble kind of army captain. So he thought, I'll show them. And he ran for president in 1836 against Martin Van Buren, calling Van Buren a wimp born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Now that didn't work. And William Henry Harrison lost badly. But fate turned his way. A fairly serious bank panic hit in 1837, and America started to call him President Van Ruin. Good nickname. So when Harrison ran for president in 1840, he used that Van Ruin nickname as much as possible. So Van Buren's campaign turned it around and called him Granny Harrison, the petticoat general. An out-of-touch old man who'd rather sit in a log cabin drinking hard cider than attend to the administration of a country. Well, rather than be burned by that, Harrison adopted it. He'd stand in front of a crowd and shout, Log cabin! Hard cider! And he won big! Now, when his inauguration day came, he didn't want to come across as all backwoodsy. He wanted to seem presidential. So March 4th, 1841, he'd prepared the most eloquent two-hour speech that any president had ever given. Sure, it was really chilly and quite rainy, but to show he was spry and healthy for an age 68 oldest president of the United States, he decided to ride in an open carriage and march without a coat on it. Stand there, no coat, reading his dreadfully long speech, which... A friend from Boston had even shortened for him, but it still went an hour 45. He attended three inaugural balls and then went to host one of those fancy dinners for rich political donors who pay lots of money to be there. And then he rolled up his sleeves and got down to business for about three weeks. That's when he got sick. Some say it was from the stress of the inauguration. Others that he just caught a cold later. Either way, a senior citizen standing in the rain for hours probably didn't help. And 30 days into office, he died. 
leaving behind a big mess. Some were saying the president died because he'd only want to eat cherries. I'm the president of the United States, and I demand cherries. And then some others said, oh, I bet his wife poisoned the bowl of cherries. And then the historians jump in saying, no, 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 you're getting William Henry Harrison mixed up with Zachary Taylor, who did get food poisoning. But to top it all off, they discovered the Constitution had a flaw. Article 2 states that the vice president would step in for the president should the president die. But would he become the new president or just acting president through the rest of the term? That was a mess that needed sorting out. So William Henry Harrison's legacy, the only president to appoint zero judges, zero states were admitted to the Union, he only served 30 days, and 1841 was the only year in U.S. history where three different men were president of the United States. But you know what? I think he still holds the record for the longest inauguration speech. And if not that, the longest inauguration speech not wearing a coat. Excellent work, Robbie. That's a uh, William Henry Harrison. You know, makes you wonder. Uh, there's there's always the human side of all of these elections. And uh, maybe if somebody had just told him, stay off the cherries, come on, and maybe wear a coat and don't ride in the open carriage and do a half-hour talk. There's think, nothing – by the way, the cherries thing, there's nothing to back that up. It's, but it sure oh, it's makes true. a great story. It's true. What about the uh, the cider, the hard cider? Lock having hard cider. Now that, that's not really true either because he grew up in this really nice plantation. He hmm. kind of grew up with a silver spoon. So no way. I don't know. People calling people names. We're going to bring on Rudyard Hopkins. Rudd works here at the BYU Broadcasting uh, Center. And Rudyard is probably very well on his way to getting a doctorate. He's leaving, I don't know if it's soon, Rudd. This year. This year, he'll be leaving us to go study uh, political communications, and now he thinks he's just all that. So we like to bring Rudd on and pick his brain about this whole political thing, because I try to avoid it, but I I actually am a fan of watching how people deal with people. Yeah. This inaugural thing's a weird deal, because this is where all the Republicans, it seems like, and the Democrats just lick wounds, and then some just look like they're just teasing the others. And taunting. Is that the purpose of this whole inauguration thing? Well, I mean, as we've seen throughout the history of the United States, that there are certain ceremonies that are very important to democracy. Right. And if it only be that we can officially uh, signify that there's been a handoff or a sustaining of power. We witness that throughout a lot of different right. uh, scenarios, even in, in church as well. There's a lot of different things that happen. Yeah. But for the function of the inauguration, that is important. Well, it's an interesting point because you did, again, mention that they weren't actually or that was not the official swearing in. Right. That I mean, happened it was done earlier. During the inauguration. I guess by law, he's got to be he's got to be re what's the word re sworn by mm-hmm. a certain date at a certain time. It has to happen on that. Right, to validate. To val- I mean, otherwise, we would not have a leader of the free world. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, though, that. This this really is maybe, um, and I heard that mentioned a lot. That this is this this is the passing on of power that it can happen without problems, mm-hmm. without people shooting each other. Luckily, that the power and it's interesting because if you look back at all the old footage, you'll see, for example, a President Bush, the first President Bush, looking while President Clinton is being sworn in. He's over the shoulder of the man that beat him. Mm-hmm. I mean that. 
has that says so much yeah. for the world to the world about how we should do this. Right. Is and that I guess that's really what we're paying for. Well, obviously, like you said, that it is that juxtaposition when it's passed from one president to another. Yeah. In this case, there wasn't necessarily yeah, that just, didn't happen. Yeah. But while it is mo- momentous, we've mentioned again a. Because of the occasion, which we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day and uh, swearing in a black president for the second time, which, again, is another huge huge step forward for us as the United States of America. Um, There are as well elements where you think this extends even to the conventions, those that we have, the Republican and Democratic conventions in ancient times or ancient. Sorry, not that long ago. Yeah, Millions of years ago. Millions and millions. Of years ago, or otherwise, in American history, those were used in order to create a, another caucus that would then allow us to generate or otherwise f- decide or be decisive about who was going to be the representative of that party. But nowadays, they're understood to be another way to get your message out there because we've already decided right. before the convention happens. It's just kind of tradition. And it's, again, there are so many presidents where their tone, and they see it as a huge opportunity to set that at the inauguration Yeah, when they deliver their speech. And those things that they think of as important will be brought up and they will be analyzed, if not more this, than the State of the Union address. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, there are definitely predictions. And this past one was something in a large array. People thought that it was a, it was a speech by a president that didn't need to be elected again. Yeah. They had... He had done things, and now he is set forth on his last four years. Here we go, and we're ready to put the pedal to the metal. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna take a break, and I, I want to come back and, and address that, Rudd. I really want to get into his the actual speech itself, because yeah, some might say, "Oh, here he goes," you know, doing his crazy agenda. But because um, it really is, it seems like that's a big thing that we can do at this inaugural event is kind of heal the whole community, heal the whole country, bring everyone together after this divisive battle. And I'd love to talk to you about that, how you think he did there, um, plus just get into some of the points about what he discussed in his um, in his speech. We are talking talking to Rudd Hopkins right here on the Matt Townsend Show, trying to touch a little bit on the more human side of the inaugural events. Um, what do we learn? What do we feel? You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have you ever wanted to travel the world? Now you can experience the vibrant cultures and customs of countries across the globe and cities across America through the eyes and ears of folk artist Eric Dowdle. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle and travel the world weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. As you've been hearing on the Matt Townsend Show, President Barack Obama was inaugurated for his second term yesterday. And in his address to the nation, he laid out a plan for the next four years, which included an unexpected focus on climate change. Three people have been injured at Lone Star University near Houston, Texas, after shooting broke out between two suspects. One of them was injured during the exchange. The other fled the campus. 
Police in Los Angeles are calling an early morning fire criminal in nature. The blaze injured 14 people in a residential apartment building, three of whom were in critical condition when rescue workers arrived. A well-known religious counselor from a prominent New York Jewish Orthodox community has been sentenced to 103 years of prison time for 59 counts of sexual abuse, including abuse of a young girl over a three-year period. More freezing winter cold is in store for the coming week, with forecasts showing the coldest nationwide temperatures in over two years. The Frigidaire has closed schools in the Detroit area. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has secured a third term in office, according to exit polls. However, his victory did not come without loss. His party will have 11 fewer seats in the incoming parliament. Following last week's deadly hostage crisis, the Algerian prime minister has vowed that his nation will do everything in their power to fight off persistent Islamist militants linked to al-Qaeda in the region. An estimated 800 children in Europe have developed the sleeping disorder narcolepsy after receiving a vaccination treatment for swine flu made by a British drug manufacturer. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Inauguration Day doesn't always fall on the most convenient day for public taking of the oath. Sometimes when it's been on a Sunday, there will be a private oath-taking ceremony on, let's say, the Saturday before, and then a public ceremony on the Monday after. Well, this was the case in both 1821 and 1849. Everyone decided to forego doing two ceremonies and just do one on the Monday afterwards. But according to the rules, the last president's term ended on the 4th, or the Saturday before, so that means in 1821, technically we didn't have a president for a few hours. But in 1849, there was a law making the president pro tempore, the president of these United States, in the event that we don't have a president or vice president. So on that Sunday, Senator David Rice Atchison of Missouri was president for one whole day. When asked about what he did that day, he said, I went to bed. There'd been two or three big nights finishing up the work for the Senate, and I slept most of that Sunday. I don't know. The guy seems to understand the value of rest. A president after my own heart. Oh, and on his tombstone, his epitaph reads, President of the U.S. one day. That is a great story. And apparently... In the middle of the night, all the senators were calling him, not on the phone, calling on him and knocking and and, because they wanted to be like one of them wanted to be secretary of state for a a night and they all wanted to be part of the cabinet for that one day. Just real fast. Just jump on the gravy train. Yeah. Um, and be a part of things. Come on, everybody. That sounds like politics. Just totally. I mean, I mean, one day you're the president for one day. Yeah. That uh, that's gotta look good. I mean, it's risky. If we're talking about lip syncing on, yeah. you know, the yeah. you know taking risks, right. that's risky. You mess things up that one day. You had one job, one day. Don't mess anything up. I wonder if he got paid. I doubt it because yeah. it wasn't even really like. I think it just accidentally happened. Afterwards, like, oh, hey, you know, you were president right. for like a whole day, right? I heard a historian say that it's not true. It's not real either because it's not legit because he wasn't sworn in either. He wasn't sworn in, yeah. So apparently, he had the opportunity had he been sworn in, but the lazy guy just went to bed. I, I think, yeah, he, he was, could have been the president. He was tired. He yeah. could have. He could have taken that oath. <laughs> I would, but have done no, it. I would have done it and changed the entire world. Just right there, right one there. day. One a million, change. a million executive uh, resolutions. Do it. I mean, it doesn't have to go through. You just you can make them. It's funny when you're watching the inauguration and you're watching everybody kind of go by. You start to notice the order of this person is third in order, and you're like, oh, <laughs> this one's fourth in order. Who's that? 
it's a scary deal. But back to you, Rudd. Uh, good stuff, by the way, BT. You nailed it again. Way to bring in uh, Senator Atchison. You made it happen. Now, Rudyard, yeah. H- Rudyard Hopkins is with us. Rudd is our resident expert here at BYU Broadcasting in, um, in all, things pol- all things political. And maybe a couple other things, like windsurfing. Windsurfing and the salsa. Yes. And so um, now, Rudd, help us. Because the, we, here we just spent, and you just filled me in on a crazy number, apparently about $182 yeah, million yeah. dollars for this event called mm-hmm. the inaugural, mm-hmm. the inauguration, mm-hmm. and the inaugural balls, which, by the way, I thought was beautiful. I thought it was wonderful how the, the, the there's really, I guess, only two balls that are legit. Yeah, and then the other ones the are, are kind of – yeah, they run off of the steam of the other ones. The greatest thing is the, the number one ball, I think, is the one that's for the armed services. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the general that's, – that's, that's for the people that really matter, the people that are out there fighting. So I, yeah. I did see that yesterday. Um, but why are we doing it? Why do we spend $182 million – well, I think we have a very talented president, and one thing he does well is dance. He's a killer dancer. So we wanted to show— Honestly, he made that uh, look so good. I, I'm sure many people out there saw it, but the actual physical setup oh, yeah. of it was them on this raised platform. Yeah. And there was no seats, no nothing, just cram people right. into this convention center. So everyone's watching President Obama yeah. and uh, Lady Obama, and then others, the Bidens and so on, just dance. And then he delivers a speech powerful and i think that's great one thing i am very grateful for is a president who loves his marriage or enjoys that's huge no i I mean yeah you can tell i do people do their job better when they have a marriage you you can't look at them without thinking man they like each other yeah because you could tell couples that don't Uh uh-huh you throw Uh them i mean and then they they also had uh, a person a member from the air force and a member from like i think um the army I can't remember. And they then danced with one yeah. of them each. So yeah, it was – and you could tell that was really more uncomfortable because uh-huh. what do you say? Get me back to my yeah. wife. <laughs> but um, I, I love that. And again, I'm all good for a dance. Sure. $182 million-ish dollars. You know – Tell me why. Why? There obviously we have a lot of dollar signs in front of our faces as American citizens these yeah. days. And uh, – more important are trillions of dollars. Now, oh, who gives or who allots that budget and how it's absorbed into the United States? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I think would be, in a way, almost more damaging than the money it costs if we didn't have it. Yeah. What, how, where would the damage be? Because I well, totally agree. There's I something think, special. Yesterday, I think, it was especially special. Um, it was just poignant. Martin yeah. Luther King Day, mm-hmm. and um, but I, I, so I totally agree with you. What do you see we would lose? I think as, the, a, as a country, the damage that would be done would be almost the 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 morale would be would be seen other or otherwise it could be seen from the out outwardly. Yeah, and that other countries other countries watch us closely, and that's uh, understood. But if we were to forego things because they cost then or certain things then that would definitely give a signal to a lot of people and definitely some alarm yeah again not everyone gets to participate most people are just watching it on television and a lot of fashion designers are watching it as we've I mean, understood now <laughs> yeah so yeah we'll get into that it's too. it's a big industry out there but it, and a lot i mean maybe that's it is that they're just trying to be 
They're trying to show they're the face for American politics. They're the face for the free world. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I guess some like to just see the dresses. Some like to see the girls, the daughters in their beautiful colors. Well, now we have unofficially we could have MTV cover the inaugurations yeah. because I mean, yeah, before we with all were... of the you know the world class performers we have that are accompanying it as well. Right. Um, there are or it is uh, on every necessarily and every level of entertainment there is something for everyone. So I don't think that they should be necessarily even more extravagant than they right. are, but I think that they're necessary for us to establish a sense of morality and an official and celebratory pass of or sustaining of power. I, I love that. I also, it seems like after watching, after being an expert now on Lincoln, because I watched the show Lincoln, and um, it seems like to me that they have the ability uh, back in the day when Lincoln was there, it wasn't about just the two sides, Republican and Democrats. It was about your issue could affect everybody. So you could approach everybody in a way that I can get your vote, even if you're a Democrat. Mm-hmm. But I would have to figure out what you need, figure out what you want and turn it. And But my relationship would be with you one-on-one. It seems like the opportunity we have in an inauguration is for the president to reach out to everyone, mm-hmm. make everyone – you know, be united again around something. Right. And maybe, you know, give a little olive branch of peace that we're all buddies a here. Nobody needs to what? die. Right. And and I want to get into the talk because I'm not sure he reached that level. Yeah. But it seems like um, – and maybe that's one thing that Obama struggles a little bit more with on top of the fact that we are so polarized in our parties. Mm-hmm. That it seems like that's what we're missing. Mm-hmm. And an opportunity like the inauguration is a chance to start breaking through some of that. Right. Well, another element, which I think you, you probably know already, too, but uh, that for the second time, President Obama has chosen to be sworn in on Abraham Lincoln's Bible. Yeah. Huge. And so, of course, Martin Luther King Day, Abraham Lincoln's Bible, and yeah. sworn as the second black president, or for the second time, the first uh, black president of the United States. Like, that's proud. You should be no. so proud of that. That is whom, whomever. You, yeah. This is a big deal. And uh, I, too, saw Lincoln, the movie as well. And I had written or I read the book that it was somewhat based upon, yeah. which would be um, Doris Kearns Goodwin's yeah. book, Team of Rivals, which I highly recommend to The anyone. political genius of Abraham Lincoln. And he, in a sense, not to stray too far from the topic, but Abraham Lincoln obviously was president in a pivotal time in the United States. Which, of course, right now is a pivotal time yeah. as well. Civil War is supposed to be ending. Mm-hmm. But if the Civil War ends, then the, the 13th Amendment, why do we need it if the Civil War is going to end? And so yeah. he basically had to postpone the ending of a war uh-huh. in order for, that for a legislation. week or whatever to get a legislation through. And that, I think, definitely signifies to me, I draw from or drew from my understanding of President Lincoln to be making – the decisions that are not likely going to make you friends but will be a lasting precedent yeah, and will make the most change if being at the immediate time you have more enemies than friends on that topic. Do you, do you believe – we? I mean it seems like we might be lacking in that level of leadership kind of nationwide. Do we have a leader that has that ability – to reach across, I mean, which was, you know, and it, it's not, again, I, it's not political. It's, I really think in neither party do we have 
fully somebody as Lincoln-esque that can go to either side and can turn the deal. Right. There are, uh, again, there are so many that say, well, of course, Lincoln being of the Republican Party and then, of course, President Obama being the Democratic Party. Some say you cannot or ever will be able to draw similarities. That's almost like tarnishing my icon. Yeah. But let's just think of it this way. President Lincoln, when inaugurated for the second time, was standing at or with a divided nation. Right. This time or in that point in time was the South and the North. I mean, seriously divided. And there, War. they were torn. Yeah. There was serious – there were barriers, definite barriers between unity. And so as well, does President Obama stand at a time where the nation is divided, yeah. which what could be seen as a chasm between? Now, that doesn't mean that that any party is the South and any party is the right. North. I'm not saying Republicans are right and Democrats are wrong or vice versa. Right. But I'm saying is how will you or the listener or I or you help in the reconstruction? That's cool. And yeah. how will we be a force for good? And again, you can't – There, this is not a call to abandon your political beliefs. Right. It's a call for you to say – what things can I do without and how will I create unity? Now, the other question or side of the question is, will they meet me halfway, the other side? Right. I think we all have to be prepared to go much further than halfway. I yeah. mean, you talk about, I'm sure you talk about in marriage. Every it's day. not a 50-50. Never. It's way more than that. If you think you're giving 100, you're just about at 50. Well, and, and that's what you see. And it might not be that I need to expect them to go halfway. I need to be skilled enough. To help them go halfway with me yeah. or go 60-40. Or, I mean, and that's what I saw in Lincoln is he had the ability. So when he needed to, he went out and pressed mm-hmm. and it would just show up in some guy's house in the middle of the night and then wake and they'd talk and close the deal. Right. But um, it's interesting, I guess, is I wonder if we have the ability in our political leadership to, to do that, to, to cross the lines like that. And um, and you're saying, you know, it's it's maybe just it's more about each of us, not just those leaders. It's about all of us. Right. Well, and then, I mean, we also not to say, again, there's no way are we to be tolerant of everything and to abandon those things we think of as our core principles or absolute truths, whatever right. they be or we believe. But just to just take a step and put ourselves in the other shoes is that this presidential inauguration or even the speech that President Obama gave were by many considered not to be very much bipartisan or it was not reaching out. It was kind of supporting his base, not reaching across the party. No, the aisles. Right. So I want to get into that. Can we come back? I want you to give us kind of an in-depth review of the speech. Sure. Piece by piece. What what was kind of suggested? And then – I don't know if you caught it. Did you see the – I think ABC had it. No, no, no. It was MSNBC had it mm-hmm. where when the president was walking away at the end of the inauguration, he went in. He got into like the portico, but he looked back. Did you see that? No, I didn't see it. Moving moment. OK. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. He just looked back. He wanted to see a million people gathered and even said, you know, hold on. I want to see this. And he stopped. And he just sat and watched a million people. He says, I'll never get a chance to see this again. So he's the real deal. He cares. uh, No matter how people want to demonize him, he's, you know, he's a human, just like the rest of us. That's why we're talking about him on The Human Factor. 
hopefully the non-political view. I mean, that's always hard, but we're trying to show you the human side of politics today. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Can your family pet smell an earthquake before it happens? And can a machine do it too? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. You've likely heard of animals that seem to know when an earthquake is coming before it hits. The University of Virginia School of Engineering and Applied Science undertook some interesting experiments recently to try and prove a hunch by Professor Raul Barrogiola that the secret of earthquake-sensing animals was in their noses. The professor's team did geological experiments in drilling and fracturing rocks and found that crushing common types of rocks like granite in the presence of oxygen can definitely give off measurable traces of ozone gas. You can sometimes smell the acrid tang of ozone right after a big electrical storm. Professor Barragiola theorizes that an array of implanted ozone sensors placed near a fault line might pick up a spike in ozone levels, as rocks start to get squeezed and fracture before a quake. The research may also lead to new detectors for mines and tunnel digging that could smell an impending tunnel collapse. This could help warn workers to evacuate before any visible signs of a quake. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. There's a new way to listen to BYU Radio with our free iOS app. Download BYU Radio's app on your iPhone or iPad for live streaming and program schedules. It's the newest way to tune in for your favorite broadcast. Just search BYU Radio in the App Store, download, and enjoy. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Everybody gets excited for the presidential inauguration speech. But who really thinks about the vice presidents? Nobody. In fact, most people don't even know the vice president to the majority of the presidents of the United States. But there was that one time that Andrew Johnson gave a fantastic speech at Abraham Lincoln's inauguration, partly because he was absolutely drunk. Andrew Johnson was suffering from typhoid fever, and in those days, they didn't have the same treatments as today. So his physician prescribed him medicinal whiskey. So after taking three shots of this, he got up and he gave the drunkest, most entertaining inauguration speech of this nation's history. Andrew Johnson rambled on for 17 minutes, completely wasted, and then he sloppily kissed the Bible and then took his place next to Lincoln. And by take his place, I mean as vice president. Though a month later, he did take Abraham Lincoln's place as the president. Wow. boy, Andrew Johnson. Something that makes you so proud. Um, it's, uh, isn't that interesting? He, that also was the beginning of the frat house. Um, and Thank you. And the frat house and its integration into politics. Boy, medicinal whiskey. That's, there's a problem with that. You shouldn't, 
you shouldn't get somebody whiskeyed up. I do the same thing when I have NyQuil, and it just makes a mess out of things. Yeah. So we are back here with Rudyard Hopkins. Rudd is uh, BYU Broadcasting's resident, um, what do we call you, political genius? Guru. Guru? Okay. Yeah. Political guru. But Rudd has been uh, – He we've asked him, and he just kind of took it on himself. We didn't even have to ask. I want you to go over the the um, the speech. It seems like of everything there, the most important part may have been potentially the speech. Right. Uh, he had already been sworn in. We already knew he was president, so mm-hmm. that was good. I guess that's good. Nice symbolism. Um, there's always the Beyonce thing we could talk about, but yeah. I don't want to get into that anymore. I actually kind of noticed her earpiece hanging out. Yeah, she, she pulled it out. She was yeah. probably getting some bad feedback. Sure, on her she lip was. Sync. Yeah, you know, you need to have the you need to have it playing in your ear. Mm-hmm. But what? So tell me about the speech itself as as a communication as a political communication. Uh, student and guru and going to study uh, on a doctorate level of this. Tell me what you thought. Well, I think that President Obama did something that was seen as what was coined as pine for by the Democratic or liberal communities or constituents. So he was he was going after those people that voted for him for the second time. The base. That the voted. base. He's, the ones that yeah. weren't necessarily as concerned about other issues other than we want to stick with them and for other reasons, whether it being supporting minorities or his own um, race, whatever it be, but they were all in supportive, but he definitely catered to those who had voted for him for the second time. He seems like, uh, I mean, and I guess that would make sense. You know, thanks, you guys, for getting me in. Mm-hmm. It just seems like, and I heard a lot of people talk about, this just validates that he's a liberal. Right. But um, that aside, I wonder if if he didn't miss an opportunity to still extend the branch. Well, again, I like I had pointed out or had mentioned earlier, but President Obama did make frequent references to a creator or God, which surprised me because the, in large part, atheists find a home in the Democratic Party. Of course, it may be a necessary evil, but the amount that he mentioned it, and also quoting things like the Constitution mm-hmm. and Declaration of Independence, those are something he did often. Yeah. Um, again, it can be seen as a political, again, I don't want to say tool, but a way for him to be able to expand what others would have used as an attack against him. But he did quote that often, which, of course, is and has lots of uh, emotional charge right. for the Americans. Well, and you can – yeah, I mean they always – it seems like it, it ends up being the Republicans that are known as the Bible bashers, the the really ultra-conservative, you know, Bible belt kind of people. So do you sense he was trying to reach to them? I think – I think that there's a huge, huge religious um, divide entity, yeah. or otherwise group. Not even divide, but even within his constituents, they're not – they're religious as well. Yeah. There is a big group. I mean there were comments made about all of the mink coats that were throughout the, the – uh, or those that were watching implying that those were also uh, characteristic of Baptists and otherwise strongly – Religious communities. Yeah. So there were and are religious people within, very much so. Maybe that's it. I mean, maybe we've just reached a level of diversity where there is no – there's no name, there's no label that can transcend it. He can be uh, 
from a, a, um, a black congregation, but highly Baptist, mm-hmm. anti-abortion, mm-hmm. yet he's, he's still talking to the pro-abortion liberal kind of wing of the party. He's, I mean, honestly, maybe he is kind of the, the, uh, the model of the mix yeah. of all of us. We could definitely call him an eclectic president. Yeah. I mean, I think, and we need it, I guess. I mean, it's, it seems like it's, it's something that um, we need more to deal with more diversity. In fact, mm-hmm. he brought up an alliteration. Yeah. Yeah. That was that got a lot of play, mm-hmm. and I wonder if anybody even knew what the alliteration was about. Again, when I heard the words or otherwise the places he referenced, I didn't necessarily know what they were either. Yeah. But uh, going back and reading through it, but the line he had said were, "We the people declare today again another use of uh, you know constitution. Yeah, declare today the most evident of truths that all of us are created equal in the star that guided us still, just as it guided our forebears through Seneca Falls." And Salema and Stonewall. Yeah. Now, what are those? I think there should have been a comma, actually. Yeah, but don't, whatever don't critique Okay, the, sorry. Yeah. So those three were significant because in Seneca Falls was New York, and this is thought to in, in was the place where women's suffrage began. Okay. Or it was a place um, that they gathered in 1848. Yeah. And then Salema is a place in Alabama City. The South, of course, where in 1965, marchers amassed and the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. stood his ground and began in a way or had a big push for the civil rights movement. And then Stonewall. Yeah. Now, what is that one? Stonewall was the name of a gay bar in the city or in in Manhattan, so New York City, that in 1969 was raided by police and uh, instituted or otherwise— motivated those in the community, yeah. the what we can call LGBT or same-sex marriage or gay community, to have marches and otherwise mm-hmm. vocalize their need for rights. So in this alliteration, he's actually addressing, and, you know, if you were, if you're in the, if you're in the feminist movement, the women's rights movement, you know, uh, you know, um, Seneca Falls. Seneca Falls. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the... LGBT, you know, community. movement and community, Stonewall. you know, Stonewall. It's yeah. interesting that that's, but what he's saying overall is we've kind of, we've been given by God all the right and the abilities mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all have to be respected and to have freedom. Yeah. I, again, there are just so many different things that were represented there yeah. and they weren't outright. They were read between the lines. Mm-hmm. And again, some deplore the fact that they are so subtle and others applaud that it was so wide reaching. Yeah. And so wherever we stand on the spectrum, we have to recognize that while there is great or huge diversity, we're all similar in one way. And if that's only one way, fine. But we're all American. I love that. I, I, re- I mean, again, and I'm a very conservative guy, but it's probably time we all get along. I mean, this isn't going away, Mm-mm. and uh, which, by the way, goes to my other movie I watched called The Impossible, which is about a tsunami. Yep. And you sit there and you watch the tsunami hit Thailand, and you're impacted by this movie. And I'm thinking, and then I juxtapose it with Lincoln, and then I juxtapose it with the inauguration, and I'm like, Are you kidding? What are we thinking about? We're one tsunami away from having every brother on this earth be my brother. <laughs> I need everybody right now to get me through this. 
and yet we sit here and still try to polarize. So, uh, wow. We're going to come back. We're talking to, to Rudd Hopkins, the resident uh, you know, political analyst for the Matt Townsend Show and BYU Broadcasting. You know, trying to talk about the good stuff here on Earth and through the inauguration. The human side is our goal. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Police are still hunting a second suspect in Texas after two men began firing at each other at on the Lone Star University campus near Houston. Three people were injured during the exchange, including one of the shooters. In his inaugural address to the nation for his second term, President Barack Obama revealed he will be focusing his next four years on climate change on top of his push for stricter gun control and immigration reform. An early morning fire is being described by Los Angeles police as criminal in nature. The suspicious blaze injured 14 people, leaving three in critical condition by the time rescue workers arrived. A well-known religious counselor from a prominent New York Jewish Orthodox community has been sentenced to 103 years of prison time for 59 counts of sexual abuse, including the abuse of a young girl over a three-year period. More freezing winter cold is in store for the coming week, with forecasts showing the coldest nationwide temperatures in over two years. The frigid air has closed schools in the Detroit area. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has secured a third term in office, according to exit polls. However, his victory did not come without loss. His party will have 11 fewer seats in the incoming parliament. In response to strong international condemnation of a missile test launched last month, North Korean officials are now threatening to further step up their military defense capabilities, including the country's nuclear weapons program. An estimated 800 children in Europe have developed the sleeping disorder narcolepsy after receiving a vaccination treatment for swine flu made by a British drug manufacturer. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're just talking about the inaugural events, all of the great stuff that went on. Um, we've talked about a little bit about the speech, President Obama's speech. We've touched a tiny bit on uh, Beyonce. Um, it's interesting, too, uh, that the Martin Luther King thing. Yep. I, I don't know. Again, I just think it was. I was so moved the first time. Of just thinking, I was proud of my country four years ago. And again, politics aside, we, we've we come a long way. 1964 was when that speech was given, I Have a Dream. Yeah. And this is close to 50 years later, and we have a president, a black president, for the second time. Yeah. Again, we have to celebrate the fact that we have been able to overcome what was thought of as a an insolvable d- difference in human rights. Yeah. And that 
it's not an easy, like, again, Lincoln found out, great, let's abolish slavery. That doesn't mean everyone's going to think that they're as equal to the other. Right. There's no way you can change that. Well, and That's the fear, person, the, person to person. In Lincoln that you read, um, the fear they had that if if you abolish slavery, you're going to have this huge influx of people that haven't had the freedoms. And so there was all this fear, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't know. But um, and it's also interesting that, you know, the way we're – I guess we can judge history one way and try to judge reality another way. But Lincoln wasn't even on the same page we're on. Mm-hmm. No one's on the same – we're not on the same page. And your concept of freedom for all is different than even maybe Lincoln fully imagined it in a realistic manner or – uh, Martin Luther King fully imagined it or is manifested by a president. So now all of a sudden we have a president that didn't just luck in because a bunch of people let him in. I mean, he was reelected. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently the process was fair. Yeah. And um, I mean, everyone's going to fight on that. And again, I don't want to get on the political side, but I do I do want to celebrate the fact that humanity, we're, we're a good people that, are, that accomplished some pretty amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, politically, I guess we can always have our fight, but there's some good stuff that uh, that seems to be happening to us as humans. You know? Yeah, I think it's it's a huge way or huge thing that we need to do in order to swallow our pride, and yeah. that has to happen. For again, we found out in this whole the looming fiscal cliff yeah. and negotiations being made. And criticism from one party to their leader for even attempting to negotiate those different terms. And I could only think or applaud the people that had to or needed to or felt impelled to cross lines in order to negotiate. At this time, we know or feel like the power has obviously tipped to one side. But those that are on the, we could say, underdog, but the other side— can and will feel vulnerable. That's human. We will feel that way. And if it be that there's been momentum and the same president wins the the elections two times in a row, they could easily think, well, we're kind of fighting for anything we have because we've lost it. We've lost our pride. We've lost our momentum. We've lost most of it. But we're too quick to think of how quickly things turn and how... If it were to turn, let's say the party in power were to be losing at some point, and then those that aren't in power were to be in power, how would we like to have been treated if vice versa? Right, yeah. See, that's why, to me, this is a great – and it's the it's the system. The system, it always kind of falls into chaos, and then we reorganize. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, forever it can fall into chaos. Uh, President Bush won two in a row. and. Yep. Um, and we fall into chaos. And after we fall into chaos for a while, we reorganize. And we reorganize, you know, in, in whatever party you're in, you end up reorganizing. Again, I saw that in the tsunami movie. Um, once it falls apart, we are forced— Apparently America needs a tsunami. You need to see that. It's okay. honestly—I've never felt more, like, vulnerable uh-huh. as a human because you're really—you're one disaster away from seriously understanding what it means to be free or not, mm-hmm. to have your needs met or not, to be stuck in the middle of a field somewhere where no one can even hear you, mm-hmm. and you're so injured you can't move, mm-hmm. and you're one of 220,000 that died in the tsunami. Yeah. So, um, again, I think that the, the idea of the, the, um, the Constitution 
and the idea of our secession plans with presidents, mm-hmm. it creates some structure. But we've also seen uh, a Kennedy die and the Johnson sworn in on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And that's just as important and just as poignant. There, I mean, it, it might even be a foreshadowing or – sorry, not a foreshadowing, but an example of – but even having Hurricane Sandy right before or yeah. during the elections. That's another case where we saw extreme need in the United States. Yeah. And there and always has been a way for us to come together. And then, of course, there's the tragedy in, in Connecticut. And that is also another case where we see acts of charity pour in, mm-hmm. absolutely flood, wherever it be. And then we also experienced way back when, I still, I remember it, I'm old enough, but <laughs> 2000, in September 2001, September 11th. Yeah, oh yeah. And we saw a huge or otherwise devastating experience and we came and again together. But the point is, is that we should not need a disaster to come together. No. We don't need to wait for people to die for us to be able to have a, or feel unity. Right, And I think that, uh, again, with this inauguration and what it symbolizes and what the political climates are between parties at this time, that this inauguration needs to be a celebration, if only for democracy. And it needs to be for those that don't agree with President Obama, right. which are plenty. We saw in the popular right. vote, it right. was about half of the country. Yeah. So the half of the country that does not agree with President Obama does not need to agree with him now, but they need to know how they can help, like I said, in the reconstruction. Right. How and what is their part? It may not be to President Obama, but it's got to be something active. Well, it, it, let me ask you, because it seems like, um, I mean, if you look back to the to the Lincoln movie, you see that all of a sudden um, the Democrats were voting against the the abolition the abolition of slavery mm-hmm. and um they were voting against it right. they were wrong right on, on now that we have context mm-hmm. so maybe the way we judge these things should probably be in context not in a myopic view of today mm-hmm. but maybe in the overall spectrum of the whole right well and the, the fact that we didn't until the civil rights movement the largest group to vote for President Obama is the blacks, 97%. They were all Republican until the civil rights movement. Right. And so the way that things shift because of attitudes towards certain environments, if we don't recognize that now, there can or continue to be a huge shift yeah. in the way we react to certain things. Yeah. And so if, again, those that uh, don't agree or would have otherwise would have chosen otherwise for president – Uh, they could very well contribute to a shift of people because they see someone that's closed-minded and someone that does not accept or otherwise uh, we don't have to to love what they're doing, but we have to love the person. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't love the people more than love or otherwise despise what they vote for. The politics, yeah. Then we're going to create even an even larger divide between us and that being the Americans. So one of the keys you're saying to kind of moving on is we maybe we get focused on the people mm-hmm. and the principles more than the politics. Mm-hmm. Again, there's so politics shift as you find, like you were saying in the tsunami movie or any other disaster, the most effect you can have is immediately around you. Yeah, that's where you will have. And if it's again, watching 
presidents and what they do, you can obviously, in some cases, be elated or be furiated. Mm-hmm. But that you're not going to have any effect on what they do right. in in a real way or in a way you can have an effect on those immediately around you. So if you see a lack of something in your government, you be the opposite right there around you. Yeah, but, and then people, I can just hear them saying, yeah, well, sure. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. easy to say, but what am I supposed to do? Well, why don't you go get involved and be active in your community? Why don't you get to know the people well, that are struggling? Let's just evaluate. Let's ha- let's evaluate your happiness scale when you are sitting there and stirring in oh, misery. So mad. I mean, there was there were a lot of people mad. Yeah, over this election. Well, I can imagine, and I definitely can can side with them as well. Yeah. But if I choose to, we could call them the baser feelings. Yeah. If I give them place, then those will forever dictate what my attitude is towards. Let's say. Heaven forbid we talk about more politics. Right. I will always think about politics negatively mm-hmm. until something happens that's miraculous and I might turn my view. But then when it changes back, I'll go back to being negative again. Yeah. But if you do not pick something sustainable, which would be a.k.a. yourself and your attitudes and choose to change those first as a positive outlook because there's plenty of it around us if you look. Yeah. But – if you don't choose to do that, then letting the national stage of politics infuriate you, then you're going to have a miserable life. Well, and can you – I totally agree. And can you understand the other side? I mean it seems like a lot of us are fighting just because we think we should fight. Uh, I mean now that the whole gun issue is going on mm-hmm. and going off and everyone's fighting over guns and then today there's another shooting. Yep. And it doesn't even involve assault riot or whatever. But um, – you can just see how this will just stir the media and everyone will just dance and jump on that thing. You don't have to participate in that. You can be big enough to understand the gun issue. Mm-hmm. And you, even if you're a gun owner, you can be smart enough to understand what's really going on and figure it out. Um, you can also get involved to whatever degree you want to get involved. I've always believed that the more you get in to what you have control over, the more control you have. Yeah. If you just focus on what scares you, what freaks you out, your fears, your concerns – the more concerns you get. If you'll go focus on your concerns, if you're worried about losing rights, mm-hmm. then go work on it. Yeah. Go understand the issues. Go start lobbying. Go start figuring it out. Again, this should have been or should be in its basis interpretation a celebration, if yeah. only for the fact that we have or otherwise those that do not agree have a chance in four years to change, change yeah. everything. Right. So – is it be if it be dismal for many people, then think about what you're going to do when the next election cycles come well, around. Then that, what are you going to do differently? But if that's true, and I, I totally believe that's true, then this is a reflection of what we didn't change mm-hmm. for years. And so we can be as mad as we want to be, but who are we? Mm-hmm. The we are, I guess, parties, but the reality is, is most of us aren't active enough in our party to make a difference. Right. And unless you're running for the president, unless you were Mitt Romney or um, Barack Obama, you haven't put it all on the line, probably. So you just have an opinion. Mm -hmm. And opinions, I guess, are great. So do something. Yeah. Use your opinion and your brilliance and your energy and your agency given to you, which we all talk about, given by God, we're all endowed with the rights to act. Well, sure, then act and then be responsible. There are uh, so many, I think, instances where we can see that there are – we do not at all very easily – that's redundant – but <laughs> we do not 
celebrate in the accomplishments of others we when it's something yeah. we want so bad. Right. That is something, again, I, I can see it over and over again with, say, with friends of mine. Or if it be someone close to you, then when they have something happen that you would like to have happen for you, the first and based otherwise reaction is you're going to be furious and you're going to be jealous and you're going to be everything else other than happy for them. Yeah. But if we're able to, again, politics aside, but someone working for a lifelong accomplishment and reaches that, yeah. then even more so if it was something that we wanted ourselves, we should be happy. And again, we can do the same or better when it comes around to the next the cycle. Yeah. But we have to, again, recognize, applaud in maybe a very small way, but do that. Learn. And then move, act, do well, it. Well, and learn what they've done and learn what worked. I mean, and that's what, that's what makes me so crazy about this is if we can't celebrate the victory, uh, I mean, if, if the average, let's say conservative, can't celebrate the victory of a liberal-ish president and you can't learn – and you can't – like I honestly – I don't love Bill Clinton, but I really revere him as a communicator who has studied it extensively. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal. He really is amazing. I don't love the politics and all of that and his history and all that. But I can still revere and appreciate what he does. That's what I saw. Uh, that's what I saw the old politicians used to be able to do. I cannot agree with you, but I can totally respect how you got there. Mm-hmm. And I can even know what you like and maybe know how to even move towards your side on this one point because it's so important to you. That, I guess, is, I guess maybe that still happens back there. But I don't think the – and maybe part of this is because it's fanned by radio. It's fanned by you know, so, less information and, and more just hype. But uh, to me, that is the skill of having real character in these debates. Do you have enough character to actually hear what your opponent is saying and not react to it? Mm-hmm. And not have to go overboard, but understand it from their frame of reference so you can actually address it, attack it better. And when you need to, learn. I mean, we should, like you're saying, we should be revering the fact that, uh, that it was some pretty historic stuff going on. Yeah. And we may not like all the politics and do something about it. Yeah. Take an inventory of what went wrong or Step otherwise up. your personal actions – and then again, we have to experience a change for then things to swing back in any other way. There has to be changes that need to be made and needs that need to be met yeah. in a serious way. So again, the average person definitely feels like they do not have any influence over what's going to happen on a national stage. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable because you won't. But you have a huge influence on what happens to you immediately around yeah. you. Well, and your family. And if it be only that you inform others or are in a little bit more active in terms of whatever policies you think are important, then do so. But don't sit around and be miserable and refuse to participate in a reconstruction. And don't badmouth Beyonce. Okay, just because she was doing a little lip syncing. She get paid a lot of money. She's great. She nailed it. I don't care if it was lip synced or not, as long as it came from her mouth sometime in the last five years. Yeah. Um, Rudyard Hopkins, thank you, brother. You're welcome. You nailed it. Talking about the inauguration, uh, there is, um, there's a lot. There's a lot we can still celebrate and enjoy, even if uh, politically it didn't go your way, you know. 
you're lucky. You're lucky to be alive. You're lucky to be where you are, to know what you know, to have what you have. That's the, that's the human side of being an American. Appreciate you listening. We're going to come back after this break right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Can a fusion-powered rocket get us to Mars in weeks instead of years? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Manned missions to other planets in our solar system have a tough barrier, the time it takes to get anywhere in space using only chemical rocket engines. A large part of a two-year round trip to Mars would be spent coasting there and back in low-energy fuel-saving transfer orbits required by the limitations of chemical rockets. And windows for those orbits are rare. Miss one, and you wait another two years. There must be faster ways to travel those distances. Finding breakthroughs that could revolutionize space exploration is a driving force behind NIAC, the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program, which is run by the Office of the Chief Technologist at NASA. One of the NIAC investigations looks at the viability of nuclear fusion to power a rocket for thrust, as well as to generate electrical power at the same time. The study looks at using magnetic fields in the engine nozzle to capture electricity from the engine's escaping plasma jet. Such a rocket could fly faster, more direct paths to other planets, saving months of travel. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We have been talking about the inauguration and all of the events surrounding that event. Just talked to uh, Rudd Hopkins, who set us straight on, you know, you don't have to hate. We don't have to hate just because it's, you know, not what we thought, not what we dreamed, not what we expected, or because Beyonce lip-synced. Now what we're (laughs) going to do is we're going to get into uh, apparently one of the hottest topics around the inauguration, which really had very little to do with politics, but... And help me understand this, because I really didn't give a wit (laughs) about Michelle Obama's dress. Okay. Well, here's kind of the big thing about Michelle Obama. You know, Michelle and Barack are kind of, you know, one of the youngest. They're iconic, yeah. You know, and so because they're young and they're cute, you know, they're good looking. Yeah. And so it's just natural that she would become a fashion icon. Oh, for sure. And Well, she's into it too, right? Oh, yeah. She's she's a leader. She's not just taking the dress they give. She's no. Leading. She goes out and she picks out her own stuff. She actually catapulted this one designer. His name was Jason Wu. Yeah. Um. And he designed her first gown that she wore to the inauguration ball. And all of a sudden, now he had to deal with Target. Oh my! Heavens. All these different things. Like he just kind of went from obscurity. Yeah. Into just you know designing for the first lady. And he also designed her second gown that she wore to the second inauguration. Ball. So that was a woohoo too. <laughs> but um, no. So uh, I heard that if you take all of her dresses, all the things she wears throughout the year, it ends up generating like three billion dollars in the in the like the clothing industry. Like she's her styles, her choices. 
her the people she chooses like Wu and mm-hmm. Chu. Who's that? Jimmy Chu. Jimmy Chu. Who's yeah. that? Is that a shoe? shoe designer? So Jimmy Chu and Wu, um, that combination. <laughs> I mean, this is so. This is a big deal. This has gone on forever. I mean, there's there's uh, at the um, the museum. What's it called? The Metropolitan. The one in D.C. The Smithsonian. So, there okay. they have all the dresses and the ball gowns that are worn by the first lady. So this has gone on forever. Did she make a good choice? I oh, kind of, I liked what she was wearing. Yeah, she looked really great. And something that um, I've actually mentioned is she's one of the first um, first ladies in a while that has you know worn sleeveless things. Yeah, you know? but she's got some guns. Yeah, because she's got some good arms, and that's mainly because of you know, well, not mainly because of that, but it lends credit to her health yeah. push. You know how she wants yeah. to, you know, revolutionize um, the nutrition for children. Uh, their lunches and stuff like that. But it's really is amazing. And partly what like the biggest thing is, is because she mixes high and low fashion. Oh, and because, yeah, because you know, she had kind of off the shelf kind of names. Uh-huh, she did. Like she'd have stuff like from Target and different things. But then she'd, you know, mix it with like a $100 sweater. But it was affordable to people. People That's could real. see that as attainable. And also that she would repeat her outfits. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in a time here when... You know, you're in the middle of a depression. Yeah. You know, people aren't going to be buying that. She seems more approachable to the people, and she and people choose to idolize her style choice, especially yeah. since you know she does have a good bod. Yeah. It's not like she's a like a stick, you know. Right. But she's you know she's Got working a good it. bod. She's not like me. <laughs> Skyboy, that woke Skyboy up. Jess, uh, what's your take <laughs> on this? What do you think? Well, that's what I my initial reaction was. Um, I wonder. Her target audience as who you know is gonna who's she after? Who wa- yeah, who wants to dress oh, like the first that's lady? That's high fashion. That'll be that's <laughs> so, just like one percent of the world that's ever gonna go to a ball. So yeah, I think that I think that what Madison brought up about her using like everyday clothes over again. You don't see that in high fashion, but it. I think you know a compliment to the first lady is that she is very approachable to everyone. Yeah. So even with her health kick, she was with, um, you know, going into schools. I don't know. I feel like she's really in touch with the American people. It's not. It's approachable to everyone, even the high fashion people. Yeah. But then especially women would notice, you know, if she was doing all these things, going into schools and stuff, but she was wearing like a $500 dress, different one every time. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Exactly. And so it's really smart with her style choices. Well, and I can't remember the names, but it was kind of like off the shelf, like Ralph Lauren, some of the stuff she wore to the inauguration, like Mm -hmm. the coat and the boots and all those things. I mean, they were were kind of just more everyday brands. Yeah. Well, like even her daughter, um, I think it was Malia, wore, it was J. Crew, and then her daughter wore Kate Spade. So that's really- J. Crew, yeah. Yeah. Like Kate Spade, is that pretty common? Yeah. Is that anything like Levi's? <laughs> not that's quite the to only that extent. It's I a know. pretty iconic brand. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like even their daughter's choices, um, it was pretty like attainable. Like you could be like, oh, like I could actually go out and buy hey, that yeah. if I really wanted that coat. I, I think it's cool. I really do. And I, uh, you know, I guess to wrap up the show, <sighs> politics aside... We're humans. I mean, she looked beautiful. Yeah, but she had bangs and whatever. 
She's beautiful. And um, to me, it was neat to sit back as and, as somebody that uh, followed the election very carefully. Um, there was something I saw on MSNBC that it just it was really neat. Um, again, and I started alluding to it earlier. Fashion aside, um, Beyonce aside, politics aside, the man was just sworn in. Okay, uh, to a place where 30, 40 years ago he wouldn't even be allowed to stand, um, let alone be standing there with his hand on the Lincoln Bible, taking the oath of office. But on his way out, so that he had just finished, the entire ceremony was done. They start walking back in. He enters back into the Capitol, the portico that he had walked out of, and he stops. Everyone's kind of on their way up, and he turns around. And mimics, or you can see him say, hold it, hold it, hold it. I have to stop and and take one more look. And then his family kind of gathers around him, and people keep walking by him like, hurry, Mr. President, keep moving. And he stops, and he just says, this is the last chance I'm going to have to see this, which is your president looking out over a million people who are celebrating not just his color, uh, not just his party, but uh, the president of the United States, something that transcends every single one of us. This is, this is the office that matters, not just the man. And what I noticed in that is he was honoring the office, and he was in awe of the office. Like, no way are these people this into this. And um, we'll never know really what was in his heart, but how easy it would have been to not make sure you captured that moment. He, by the way, he did it by himself. He didn't do it with his wife. He didn't do it because his press people told him to. You could see the cameraman had to re, uh, readjust and be able to catch that shot. But whatever he is, he's our president, and uh, I think it was historic. And there's too much we could all lose if we just can't uh, get together on this. So I challenge you as listeners to the Matt Townsend and the Human Factor I challenge you. You go be the change. Quit your complaining. You go put your money, your your backing, your time, your energy into making this country better. Don't just complain about it anymore. I challenge you to do that. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, more new topics to give you a leg up on this crazy thing we call life. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.